And I always say to him, like, this is how we're all born. We're not yeah. born to read. And, you know, this man-made thing, this line and this other line, that's a T all of a sudden, and that's going to have meaning. So our brains don't know that. And every single person needs to be taught this code that these letters, these squiggly lines represent sound. It's like and a symbol. Sound. Exactly. Now, what is dyslexia? Hear from Stacy Roselli, the CEO and founder of The Reading Village, as she helps define what dyslexia is and how it affects one out of every five people. She also shares her own experiences and specialized training of working with children who have a unique learning style. So, let's do it. Too many days in the darkness Without a glimpse of the light Running tired and broken and scared But I swear I'll never give up the fight I see you broken and beat Head pulled down over your eyes Every part of you wants to surrender Darling, you were meant to survive Stacy, thanks for uh, coming on today to chat. Happy day to you. Thanks for having me. Yes, absolutely. So the Reading Village, for people just hearing about you guys for the first time, can you kind of um, shed some light into the, the field that you guys try to focus on? Absolutely. So my favorite job in the whole wide world is being a mommy. But then after being a mommy, my favorite job is teaching. Love to hear that. It's my favorite job is teaching reading. And so I was just very fortunate that over 20 years ago, I was placed in a situation that taught me how to teach reading. I went to NYU, I got an undergrad, I got a grad, and it didn't matter because I didn't know how to teach reading. And so about 10 years ago, my husband and I moved from New York to sunny Florida. I, awesome. Uh, I love to hear that. The, exchanged the shovel for flip-flops. Yeah. And I came here and I realized that there was such a need for teaching reading in a very specific way. Mm. And so I established the Reading Village and I had gone back and forth on like, how do I, you know, what do I want my business name to be? And I really do think that it takes a village. It takes a village to teach a child and it takes a village to raise a child. So we are the Reading Village. We're a group right now. We're a group of about 12 women from the West Coast to the East Coast. And we're all a team of structured literacy educators. And our mission really is to help children and families overcome the difficulties that they feel when they learn that their child has dyslexia. Mm. We want to teach the skills for the children to be able to become confident readers, but more importantly, confident people. And we want to see the child first, really before we see the student. And so we had one dad say to us, so do you teach confidence? And I was like, well, you don't actually teach confidence, but you have to gain confidence. And so I'm just very fortunate right now. The Reading Village is this team of very bright people. And I always surround myself with people who are smarter than me so I can really learn from them. No, that's good. That's good. It's interesting yeah, that father uh, had said that too, because it, confidence, I, get, I guess, kind of just comes. I mean, it comes so naturally and you're, you're never going to notice like, oh, I, you know, I was you know, confident, I wasn't confident five seconds ago. Now I am, you know, it's kind of just as a gradual, um, 
gradual time frame that that takes. So it's interesting you said that, but it does. I mean, it really does because you're just slowly getting better at something, especially from a kid's standpoint where he originally probably, or he or she, the, which, you know, the reader. Yeah. The reader is, um, you know, I guess lands in, in your office or working with you because there is difficulty in reading. And, and I can only imagine that the frustrations that that parent has gone through over and over and over again. And from a child's standpoint, not that you know it like black and white, what's going on, but you could just sense that Mm -hmm. your parent is just upset with something with you. You might take it on your shoulders as just, you know, I'm the cause of this. They're upset. You know, I I don't want to read at this point because it's always a, a hassle, you know, it causes them stress. And so, so then there's also like this development of, I don't want to even do it now. And then they, they land with you. So that is a, it's great that you, you know, you're able to kind of build those children up because eventually, I guess, when they start to learn reading, their confidence has grown even more than their peers. Sometimes we have teachers saying she's almost cocky now. And I'm like, (laughs) I love that. I love that going from where they were to, to cocky. (laughs) Almost overconfident. Like, let me explain why there's an E at the end of that word. Yeah. Yeah. And you, and you had brought up uh, dyslexia. What, um, for people hearing about that for the first time, I feel like we all know that we've heard of the word, but to get more specific, what exactly is dyslexia? I think the answer actually depends on who you're asking. Mm. So if you ask a parent, you're going to get an answer with a, an emotional component to it. If you ask a teacher who has very little knowledge, and unfortunately there are many teachers who don't have knowledge of what dyslexia is because of the lack of teacher training, But if you ask them, they might say, oh, it's when the kids get their B's and D's flipped. You hear that often. If you ask a child, the answer would be different depending on the age. I had one eight-year-old go, dyslexia is my superpower. And one day I'm going to be really famous. And that's because (laughs) that's how her mother presented it and her father presented it to her. So what is dyslexia? I'm going to read to you the definition from the International Dyslexia Association. I am an IDA board member, proud IDA board member of Florida. So I'll read to you. Dyslexia is a specific learning disability that is neurobiological in origin. It is characterized by difficulties with accurate and or fluent word recognition and by poor spelling and decoding abilities. So what does that really mean? Learning to read is not natural. I mean, I remember when I first found this out, I'm like, really? It, It makes sense. And so when we see our moms and dads' faces, whether they're picking us like this or they're picking us up and they're picking us up and they're turning them upside down, that's still the face of a mother and father. And that stays the same. We were born to speak to each other. You know, you learn your native tongue. You listen to your mom and your dad and you say, mama, tata. But no one taught you to say, this is called speaking. Okay, watch how I form my lips. No one ever taught you that. So when I first learned that, it really has to do with how our brains are, like how we're born. And I always say to him, like, this is how we're all born. We're not mm. born to read. And, you know, this man-made thing, this line and this other line, that's a T all of a sudden, and that's going to have meaning. So our brains don't know that. And every single person needs to be taught this code that these letters, these squiggly lines represent sound. It's like and a symbol. Sound. Exactly. If I may read to you, I thought this was really great. I had asked a friend of mine who is a parent of a dyslexic child and who's also an educator. Listen to the difference. Dyslexia is a learning difference that has variations 
but it is marked by significant difficulty in reading. People who are dyslexic have brilliant minds. They just have a different way of thinking and a different path to learning how to read. Hmm. So you see how different the answer was? Yeah. Many people you'll hear say that dyslexia is a disability and or a difference. And I remember so clearly one of my ninth grade students goes, I have dyslexia and it is a learning difference. And this is why. And she was very confident <laughs> in using that term learning yeah. difference. But when you don't use the term dyslexic, when you don't use the term disability, then you don't get funding from the state. Ah, there, don't get there, support. there's the politics behind it. There is no politics here, though. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> that that doesn't surprise me, but it, it that I like that example that you gave with with her because that um brought up. I I watched a a TED talk that was very relatable to how that was a ninth grade student you said mm -hmm. the ted talk I, I think was from a guy named dean braganier where he was discussing dyslexia not as a disorder but as a difficulty you know if you were to take taking into account what neurodiversity is which is really interesting perspective because neurodiversity moves away from the school of thought that categorizes things that as just being black and white like if it's not the quote unquote norm then it must be then essentially defective if it's not normal. And with neurodiversity, he discussed dyslexia as just a neurobiological variation. So like to, in simple terms, like on the TED Talk, he was categorizing it as a variation rather than a disorder, where, for example, if you have black hair and I have blonde hair, that's a variation. And although if you were to come into my area, say most people where I live just happen to have blonde hair and you have black hair, I wouldn't classify you as defective you know so that perspective and i thought it was a really good productive way of discussing it especially when you consider the sheer number of people who have it you know it's very easy to start talking about um things being a disorder when there's only like one or two people out of like a thousand or way more that have it but dyslexics are way more um more frequent than that and he went on to discuss the neurobiological differences that someone who has dyslexia has, which really did make things make a lot of sense. And he had said that some significant cognitive advantages to having dyslexia, especially in the field are especially in the fields of entrepreneurship, engineering, mm -hmm. architecture, the arts. And that started to make sense because people who have trouble reading have dyslexia and our, our brains being contralateral, meaning our left side of our brain controls the right side of our body and vice versa. Our right side of our brain controls the left side of our body. And what he was basically saying was dyslexics rely heavily on their right side of the brain rather than their left. They're more advantaged on the right side of their brain than the left side. And that's just happens to control our creativity, imagination, our intuition, and especially our, our artistic sides. And there's a famous artist named, Picasso, who I thought was a great example of of a dyslexic, um, where he really was able to tap in to that artistic side, where he was able to see and use what people were throwing away. He was able to use and turn it into art because he had a deeper sense of what art is and what art could be because he had dyslexic, because he was much more advantaged in that right side of his um of his brain and was able to 
understand people's perspectives that way because like at the end of the day instead of he ended the ted talk with saying basically you shouldn't put yourselves into someone else's shoes you should see how their brain works and go into like how their their brain is structured and then you would see things much more simpler and clear and it would make sense and i was like mind blown out of like those those couple of minutes i was listening to this because it just it makes sense and now dyslexics i feel like have do have an advantage because they know where their strengths are their advantage and where maybe you want to either not you know steer away from but there's there's really um severe advantages that they can take advantage of you bring up so many good points and there are many researchers who say one in every five people have dyslexia and dyslexia has nothing to do with intelligence. That's twenty percent. Yes, good math skills. There's typically <laughs> there's typically students. So they, I have students who can do math way quicker than me. I mean, it's absolutely incredible. And so growing up, those first graders, second graders, they come with baggage. Like I have, I used to teach fourth graders for twelve years, and they come with such heavy baggage already. And they know that it's a difference. But at that point, it's not a great difference just yet because everybody else is learning how to read and they're not. Uh, there's a great book, The David and Goliath by Malcolm Gladwell. And in one section, he wrote, uh, you wouldn't wish dyslexia on a child, or would you? Hmm. You know, Shark Tank, Mr. Wonderful? Oh, does he? He's dyslexic. However, in his video, in, in his, if you watch a video on him, he'll say, I had dyslexia, which is not necessarily true. Yeah. But when you work with, he received intervention and, and he actually cried in his interview. It was so good. That's funny. But, he, he lives like less than 10 minutes from me. I know exactly the building he lives. It's funny. You bring him up because I know exactly I follow him and I'm always seeing like, uh, he always makes those videos, but sorry, go on. That's okay. Dyslexia doesn't go away, but if you remediate and intervene at the right time, those neurological pathways are formed and you connect the parts of the brain that you do need for reading. Mm. And I've been doing this for over two decades. And now I have these like grown men and women, uber successful. And I, you know, they were in one of the most struggling reading classes when they were in fourth grade. Yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, it makes sense because they're they're tapping into, especially in today's society, because today's society is a lot about creativity and making opportunities for yourself and with entrepreneurship and, and creativity, like um, content creating and stuff, even as simple as that, not just, you know, you're doing the same job for about like 30 to 40 years and then you're, you know, you're going to retire. So it actually, um, that feeds into kind of where we are going as as a society. Um, and I, I would love to hear a little bit from your perspective on some tactics that you're able to do with the children that um, you work with too, because you are um, a godsend for working with children who are di having difficulty reading, because I can only imagine that parent staring at them going, you know, it says door, it says door, say door, you know, and, uh, and you knowing, you know, knowing it from a teacher's perspective, knowing exactly kind of where to go and, and how to um, tailor, you know, uh, um, a curriculum or some exercise for them. I'd love to hear what you, you help them with and how. Sure. I would like to share also that Richard Branson, 
he went with connected with LinkedIn. And now you can put as an uh, attribute, I'm a dyslexic thinker. Mm. And so that I had to share that story with all of my students. I thought that was important because you had mentioned entrepreneurship several times. And yeah, he's doing pretty well for himself. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. (laughs) So to answer your question, what are the best ways to work with students with dyslexia? The first thing is really meeting them where they are. So we offer a type of homeschool program. We don't really call it homeschooling, but it's an independent education. And we had a sixth grader come to us just almost a year ago now, and she couldn't spell the word yet. She just couldn't give us the sounds in the word yet, and she couldn't retrieve that it was a Y. And so um, I was speaking with some colleagues, and they're like, oh, so you're going to do like a sixth grade curriculum? And I go, no, I don't really care what grade she's in. I need to teach her what a short vowel is. I need to teach her what the sounds of the consonants are. And so really meeting the children where they are is really, really important. We teach in a very systematic and explicit way where nothing is assumed and everything is taught. Although this isn't a reading skill, I do recall I was doing an assessment with a student who was again in ninth grade. And I said, how many days are in the year? And she said, 156. And I said, okay. Let's, let's, let's do it. And just teaching, every, teaching everything. Um, it's again, systematic and explicit. Nothing is assumed and everything is taught. Everything has to be taught. So I assessed a fourth grader recently who her mom is like, something's, something's not right. I know something's not right. She's starting to have stomach aches and she doesn't want to go to school. And so I had her come to my office and she read like a fourth grader. You gave her a passage and she sounded pretty fluent. She sounded smooth. But then I put the word lap in front of her with nothing else, no other context. It wasn't a predictable predictable text. It was just the word lap. And she read it as lab. She read the word kit as cat. She read the word had as hand. These are simple three-letter words, three-sound words that she couldn't read in isolation. But she read this. The second graders were extremely excited they were going on a field trip to the city zoo with no errors. Hmm. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so our job was to give her a law, lots and lots of uh, formal and informal testing and say, okay, what is going on in this little girl's brain? And it's, it, she doesn't have short A solid yet. She doesn't have her vowel solid, which is taught you know, mid-kindergarten to first grade. But she was surviving in fourth grade, very bright little girl, but really starting to feel like the pressures of school. And that could do it. That, I mean, you know, it's, when you're dealing with pressures and stress, that affects kids too. You don't see it on kids, I guess. It's not as easy to detect, but that, that'll, <laughs> that'll throw you off. It will. Absolutely. And they, all we want them to do is to be happy. So I'm a mom. And what do I want for my daughter? I want happiness for her. I want her to be kind and kindness will come back to her. And for these little ones who come, my job, I have one of the hardest jobs in that I assess them and I'm going to ask them for about an hour, an hour and a half, show me what you know, and then I'm going to figure out what you don't know yet, because that, that word's really important, what you don't know yet. Yeah. And then everything that is difficult, you're just showing me what I can do to be the best teacher for you. So thank you. You know, thank you for helping me know what to teach you. So thank you. And so my goal when the child leaves is to say, okay, what was the feedback? She had a lot of fun. And I'm like, that's great. 
And I always make sure like if they do a, a full neuropsychoed evaluation that I look through it and I say, okay, let me pick the highest number I can get on a bell curve. And if they're old enough, show them on a bell curve where they landed. Yes, yeah. their working memory might be in the fifth percentile, but if they have a strength that's above average, I'm going to share that with them. And I say, you know, my job is to tap into that part of your brain. And this whole reading thing, it's going to be great. You're going to be great. Yeah, I love that that positive approach too. And there's a great point you brought up, um, making it fun. Because I feel like if it's not fun, it's, it's hard to... Um, have a child engaged for you know longevity because i remember uh i mean i think even my own parents would be able to tell a story better than i i can but i think i came home from uh kindergarten first day the kindergarten preschool first day um and like came home had dinner the next morning my parents get me to wake me up and i just said no, I'm not going today. I'm done. I'm not going anymore, you know? And they're like, well, what do you mean? <laughs> and to me, I just, I wasn't fun. I didn't have fun. It wasn't. And it probably, especially the first day of school, you know, all of a sudden you're in this class full of kids and stuff. And I just said, I'm not going. Um, obviously I did, but. I'm uh, so sorry. Kindergarten should be so much fun. Yeah. I'm so sorry. <laughs> well, I mean, honestly, it could have been, I don't, I don't really remember the factors, but you know, you're a kid, your first time you're uh, in, in a new environment, you know, you have all this stimuli all over the place for you and you're meeting new faces and you're just like out of your element completely. So it's probably stressful, but um, it definitely wasn't fun, you know? Um, and that, that's so important because even, like in today, like people's jobs, you know, I mean, do you tend that the most successful people are enjoying and having fun in what they're doing? And that's what makes them good at it because it, it makes them keep doing it and making things fun is like the, I feel like the antidote, the secret antidote to getting anybody, even a child. I don't think we're much different than them. We kind of act the same in, in that regard. Um, how are some, uh, what are some ways you're able to make things fun? You know, for the parents listening to this right now going, how do I make this fun? I'm so frustrated trying to read or, or get my child to do whatever. How do I make this fun? Do you have any, any remedies? A trampoline. That'll help. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, no, I, I have a trampoline right next to me in my office and almost every session starts out with a trampoline mm. and I have balance beans and I have kids jump on pillows it has to be, it has to be fun. This is the hardest for them. Your question is a little challenging in that we as parents have a role to help our children in homework. But we often say to families, like just enjoy reading with the child and don't necessarily force things and make it stressful. So what we always say just- Don't force things. That, don't force it. I know that it's homework and, and you have to help get it done, but- really making it fun, Danielle, you, you nailed it. It really is so important. And if a parent just reads to a child, I don't care if they're in fifth grade or sixth grade, still reading to a child is so important because it's developing a love for reading and a love for language. So for parents, I would say play games and have as much fun as possible and don't be stressful. What parents can do, especially for little ones, is to not use simple language and to use robust vocabulary. So I had my three, my daughter, when she was three years old, I mean, she was saying, Oh, mommy, you startled me. 
because I use the word startled. Yeah, and yeah. I don't say I don't say boo boo. I'm like, oh, you have a bad scrape, or you scratch, you know, you scratched yourself. Mm, that's a good point. The other day, I said, yeah. Oh, you mean it was a little inconsistent, mommy? What does that mean? I said, let me show you what consistent means. And she's like, oh, so it's not consistent. I said, exactly. Mm. So really focusing not so much on you have to be reading, just just have fun with it and read to them and use use robust language. Absolutely. I like what you brought up in the beginning there where you, you know, every session starts on the trampoline or you're doing something fun because that is literally what people do in the business world. Like the first 10 minutes of a meeting is you, you, you like bullshit. You talk, you like, you talk about life. You talk about like happy hours, you talk about whatever. And then you get into the business meeting after into the actual business. And, and that's actually a, uh, um, it's it's so funny that you you said that that that's what you practice too with children because that makes so much sense. You're getting them, you're transitioning them from what they just came from, whether it's a um, you know, a car ride with their their parents, maybe a 30, 40 minute ride, they're stretching their legs. You can't just sit them right down and you know and get to the reading. You're actually, you know, getting them to buy into it. That's uh that's a really good point. Thank you. It's all yeah. it's all about having fun. And I did mention the word games. I actually am creating reading games. I'm so excited. Yeah. It's been a, a labor, labor of love. But I um I had a student who was severely dyslexic. Now you can't even tell. Um, I started seeing him when he was in second grade. And his mother she wasn't crying. There are lots of moms and dads who do call crying, but she wasn't crying, but she felt desperate. She knew he was so bright, but this reading thing wasn't just coming along. And so we first, I started, first started seeing him when he was in uh, second grade, but three times a week. And then it was up to four times a week. And then he asked for more, mm. like a third grader asking for more. So we did five days a week and we ended up doing two hour sessions a day. Wow. And he'd want more. And I'm like, no, like, Two hours a day. Is yeah. Crazy. And we talk about perseverance and determination from, from such a young person. Um, but then his mom would be like, okay, you know, what do you want us to do when we go home? And that's the village part, right? The reading village. This mm. is when we do become a village. It takes a village, so I, yeah. I had been playing my reading games for about 20 years now, but it wasn't until I met this young boy where I was like, I need to develop even more games. And so I am an artist who can do some really great um you know, circles and some little spiked hair. I'm not an artist, but I started creating these characters for my reading games. And my friends were like, can I get a copy of that? Would you it's mind? Good. They're like, yeah, it's me? good. <laughs> it's really good. I like it. And so what I found is that the mother was able to play these games, reinforce a specific skill that I just taught and have fun. So I'm really excited to say we found an amazing graphic designer. We found an eco-friendly printer in New York and the ball just started rolling. And I'm really, really happy. I'm now presenting the games to local schools and at conferences. I'm really, really excited about that. That is awesome. Congrats on that. I was going to ask you about your reading games because I saw that and I was like, wow, this is, this is cool. Cause it reminds me of just being like right back in school, but like, you know, you can do that at home with your with your parents and it, and it's not something like you know we're we're in such a digital world right now too that it, it gives parents uh, the ability oh, to you yeah use something that's not also putting a screen in front of them it is that that um traditional cards you know i mean i i love that 
Thank you. It is really important for me to bring families together. And so I'm a big believer, and my husband is too, and I'm really happy, you know, we're a team on this. My daughter doesn't have an iPad. And sometimes like she'll be like, Mommy, can I see your phone? And I'm like, why do you want to touch my phone? Like, what yeah. she's like, Well, I want to I want to I want to send you a message. I'm like, that's okay, baby. You know, just tell me now. Yeah. <laughs> um, so getting them off of technology is really important and laughing with each other. So the games are a little competitive. And yeah. why not make why not make it a little fun, a little competitive? Um, and in the end, all you're doing is is reading. Yeah, that's it. And that's and that's something I don't even think uh, like the, the kids are realizing, you know, they are reading and learning without even realizing like you know, they're not in a, you know, a classroom with 25 people doing it. Exactly. Do, do you have a um, do you have a story that you can uh, share with us to where, um, you know, maybe somebody, a parent comes to you. Right. And they're just so distraught. You know, I've been I come home from work. I try to help with them with their homework. It's just not working to say the least. And, you know, the, the kid and the parent, you know, they're like not even getting along anymore almost because of how those homework fights. Right. Um, and then you come in and then if you can give us an X amount of time too, maybe typically how long it, it could take. Um, if you have a specific story, I'd love to hear just how, how that process was and how it ended. If you can. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I'll continue the story. I started sharing about the, the young boy whose mom came to me, who started seeing me three days a week, then four days a week, then five days a week. And so we worked together for third grade, fourth grade, and fifth grade. And now he is in high school. Hmm. And I'm not, he doesn't know this, and I'm not showing his name, so it's okay yeah. to say, <laughs> but his teacher actually tested me, uh, texted me and said that they did end of year testing. And out of all of the kids in his grade, he scored the highest on the standardized testing. Oh, wow. And it wow. just makes me so like, I, I'm like, literally, I was like, when I, I had happy tears, because I'm like, this boy, it was so hard. And now I look up at him, I saw him a couple of days ago, and he, he's a man, and with his like deep voice now, and he's so <laughs> tall. And like, we, we have this, we have this wonderful relationship, because I knew it was so hard for him. Um, and while I was pregnant, uh, he was he was reading to me five days a week. And so I said, honestly, my baby probably knew his voice better than anyone besides for me because he would, I was like, you know, you're reading to yeah. my baby. Thank you so much. But here's this young man and they, they, they're they a wonderful family uh, with four children and three of the four children have either dyslexia, auditory processing, ADHD. Mm -hmm. um, so it really was, he is one of my greatest success stories. We have a lot. And I'm very happy to say, like, I have dads finding me on LinkedIn and be like, he's in Silicon Valley right now. And I'm yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I knew it. There was, yeah. it's just that this reading piece and spelling piece may be very, very challenging when growing up. But I, I often say to parents, I'm, I'm not worried about your child at all. He's a beautiful soul. Yeah. And he's going to be a great dad one day. Like, you know it. So this whole reading thing, yeah, it's really challenging now. And I'm not underestimating how hard it is. But in the scheme of life, I'm not worried about him. Well, that is very, very impressive from him, too, that he was the highest in the standardized testing. Because if he was dyslexic and he was favored, his right side of his brain was, was favored, he's competing with people who might even be left brain favored. And those standardized <laughs> tests are so 
designed to cater to the left side of your brain. And he's able to beat those odds and beat those people who are um, left brain favored or the equilibrium's fine, like whatever it is. But he's he's beating them basically at their own game, how a test was designed for them and the opposite for him. Because if it was designed for him, it would be about arts and 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 other things. So that is really impressive to hear. I know. I was so proud of him. Um, there are you can use a functional MRI to show that the type of instruction that we use, it changes the brain. And it's so cool to see how you would take a, a basically a non-reader and turn them into a reader and how our instruction does that. I mean, I always say to teachers, mm. like we have one of the most important jobs. Like we're helping to, to change the brain, neuroplasticity at its best. Yeah. The um neurology behind it is is just is fascinating it really is fascinating and it, and just like listening to something like this or like a ted talk or something where i mean it could really change your entire outlook on life and how you're used to practicing especially if you're a teacher too because um i don't i mean what would you say to a a teacher to to who's listening right now to look out for in terms of trying to um specify who maybe who in their classroom is dyslexic because if you have one out of five if you have if it the numbers are one out of five like you said right i mean you have 25 kids in that class i mean it's every single class you almost have to have your um your light bulb on looking out for these these kids i i was a teacher for 12 years and i taught in a very small private school solely for children with language-based learning disabilities yeah. i was very fortunate to be there i learned so much there um I only had 13 kids and it's really, it's not really fair to ask a teacher with 20 kids to have to follow this curriculum and then keep your eyes open, but we do need them to keep their eyes open. And it's not the teacher's fault that they haven't been trained. Um, it's just not part of teacher training just yet. You know, yeah. as, as an ID yeah. board member, we're working on that. But I would say to really be diagnostic in teaching as much as possible to say, huh, they're able to do this task way slower or they're this group is able to do the task much quicker than this one what's going on let me let me talk to someone who may know something in the school yeah. so i would really just be aware of how long time how long tasks take um so that that is really important because that's that could be very telling and it's not true like oh they're just a boy they'll grow out of it that's not that's not true so really be diagnostic in their teaching okay. and say, okay, what's going on? It's okay. If I don't know what to do, let me ask someone at the school who might know what to do. Okay. Yeah. Don't wait. Sense. Please don't wait. Yeah. It is so much harder to change the brain as the child gets older. If you can get it in first grade and second grade, you're in such a better path. And it's so much easier if you can do it at a younger age. It makes sense. I mean, I think that's the, the same thing with anything, especially, I mean, even like behavior stuff, you know, I mean, when you, when you're able to get to it earlier, you know, mm -hmm. you really save yourself some, uh, some time, you know, <laughs> and, some, and some heartache. So, um, Stacey, I have, other than, um, I have some on the bottom of our screen here, I have some information where people can find you guys. And, you know, if you guys are interested in some of the reading games that can maybe even, 
Um, not only for, if, you know, maybe your child isn't dyslexic or doesn't have any problems. You want to um, order those anyway, because it's an awesome, super cool little activity you could do with your kids. I have some information at the bottom of the screen here where you can find it. But other than other than that, is there a certain place where maybe somebody can reach out for maybe like even whether it's a consultation or they could just get more information um, about you guys? Absolutely. You could find, please, please email me. I love when parents reach out and teachers read. It's, I find such joy. I love teaching children, but I love teaching teachers as well. So you can find me at Stacy at thereadingvillage.com. And yes, the reading games are for more than just a dyslexic child. Thank you for bringing that up. Um, you have everything you need in these games to teach your pre-reader how to read. So you don't have to wait until there's failure, you know, wait, yeah. you know, start, start early. That so, is yeah. so important. Don't wait till failure. That is a really good, um, I'm glad you said that. Cause that makes a lot of sense. Start early. Yeah, no, that's, that's good. I, um, thanks for coming on Stacey. I mean, this really is a, has been a, a great conversation. I think it's, pro it's productive. It's not, this topic is not going anywhere. You know, I mean, people are still, we're obviously still going to always have kids, you know, and that's just going to, um, and adults. With uh, yeah. Yes. Yes. That too. That too. Even adults might like, might be listening to this going, oh, well, actually I am an artist and, um, I am just as fluttery as uh, Picasso, you know, and I'm using, um, I'm using people's recycling, you know, um, as my own artwork. So, it's, and uh, I might say, Daniel, you you also might, I often ask parents, well, is there someone in the family who has dyslexia? But then I, more importantly, were there any late bloomers in the family? No. Oh, yes. My husband was a late bloomer because they weren't necessarily diagnosed, but reading was really hard and now they're uber successful. So the late yeah. bloomer is often uh, a good way to ask it. That's a good word for it. Yeah. Late bloomer. That's good. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Stacey. I appreciate it. And um I'm looking forward to you. We'll catch up down the road and see how, uh, see how things are going. You could tell us more of your success stories too. Thank you. Appreciate it. Have a great day. Yes. Thank you, Stacy.